The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. John chapter number 21. I am going to read the passage of Scripture. It's a story. We can follow along in this and be blessed. So uh, how many of you say, I just love stories? Here's a story. The whole chapter is a story. Let's get into it. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. That's up in, uh, in Galilee. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus. We remember that's, that's a twin. Um, that's what that name means. Uh, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing, all right? And so some of you fishermen can identify with that. They caught nothing. Verse number four, but when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. It could have been foggy. It could have been anything. They just they couldn't see. It was about 300 feet off is, is, is what he was. So verse number five, then Jesus said unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt him uh, his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. Now uh, naked is a, a term. He was not fully naked. Uh, it was just he was, he was dressed down for work, okay? And so he, he throws on his coat and he starts swimming to shore about 300 uh, feet in, okay? And so, and the other disciples came in a, little, uh, in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net of, uh, with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Where did that come from? This isn't a trick question. Come on, that's amazing, isn't it? Like, we just skip right over miracles like that. Like, right over it. Now, I'm not going to preach on that specific part, but I want you to notice, I mean, they come to shore and Jesus already has the food. Now, notice the next verse. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fishes which ye have now caught. And he's, he's like, guys, you just worked for this. He didn't belittle their labor. He... He invited them to bring a part of their labor into what he was preparing for them, which is an amazing uh, thing as well. just shows his heart. Verse number 11, Simon and Peter went up and drew the net to, uh, uh, net to land full of great fishes. He was really strong, 153. And for all, there were so many, yet was the net not broken. Jesus saith unto, unto them, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? They had just seen him perform a miracle. And Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So 
when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto, unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had uh, said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto you, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest on whither thou wouldest. In other words, you went wherever you wanted. When you're young, you you had no restraint. You, you walked everywhere you wanted. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt be stretched forth, uh, stretched forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and shall carry thee whither thou wouldest not. You'll be taken against your will. Verse number 19, this spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto Peter, follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeing the disciple whom the Jesus, on Jesus loved, that's John, following which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, um, and what shall this man do? That's an interesting question. Jesus said unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is it uh, that to thee? Follow thou me. Then when he uh, went this saying abroad among the brethren that the disciple should not, this that that disciple should not die yet Jesus said not unto him that he shall not die but if I will that he should tarry till I come what is that to thee this is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things and we know that his testimony Christ's testimony is true and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. And God's people said, Amen. There's a conclusion. That's the last chapter. You may be seated. That's the last chapter of the book of John, completely devoted to this man, Peter. Let's pray and get on, jump into this. Father, thank you for the good time we've already had this morning. I thank you for our mothers. I pray that you bless them and encourage them. I thank you for every lady in our church. I pray that you would help us to honor them and, uh, uh, Lord, just a, a glory in how you use them even in this, this body, this assembly. And I pray that, uh, Lord, we would continue to grow together in unity as a church family, grow together in teamwork as a church family. Lord, we pray for the next generation that's being taught right now that's saying to us this morning, we ask that you would raise up pastors and and um, preachers and evangelists and missionaries and and uh, wives that that uh, would be pastors wives and evangelist wives missionary wives and folks that uh, children that that no matter what would serve you with all of their hearts and would love you more than anything lord i pray that you bless our time in your word this morning would you restore our souls in jesus name i pray amen think about this idea of worthlessness 
Uh, there's many statistics out there that deal with worthlessness and hopelessness. In fact, uh, people say that it's been on the rise and no doubt in a, in a world that's been shut down and so many things have been uh, kind of moved out of place, so many routines that we are used to and comfortable with that have been adjusted. Uh, even the loss of jobs and those types of things bring on a sense of worthlessness. Worthlessness is the idea of having no real value or no real use. You know, there are times that people, and even within this room, I have no doubt uh, that you've even said in your own mind, even maybe today as you, you got up, I, I'm not worth anything or I don't have any value. I can't do anything right. I'm just a big failure. And those type of things creep into our minds. Uh, sometimes that worthlessness can stem from our own personal view of ourselves as we would compare ourselves with one another. The Bible tells us that we're not wise when we do that, but we still do that, don't we? We, uh, we compare ourselves with one another, especially in a social media age. You, you compare yourself with the successes and the failures of other people, and, and uh, it's just a natural thing for human beings to compare themselves. God says it's not wise, and it often affects the view uh, that God has towards us. Worthlessness can be the re result of a failure or a series of failures. You're just feeling like, wow, I've just really messed things up. I can't do anything right. Worthlessness often is heightened when we begin to compare ourselves with one another. It's just, it's just exasperated as we compare ourselves with one another. Uh, worthlessness can haunt us after we make a choice to do something or not to do something and thereby hurt somebody that we love. It's always a hard thing when we hurt somebody that we love, isn't it? A very difficult thing. And worthlessness can haunt us. Boy, I just feel so low down. I just, I, I cannot believe that I would do that. And where we find ourselves in this story today, though the word worthlessness does not come up in the story, I guarantee you that Peter was struggling with this sense of, well, what do I do now? How can I amount to any good for Jesus Christ now? I followed him for three years, and at the last, at the last hour when he really, really needed me, I bummed it. I really messed up royally. And that's where Peter is. And as we come to this last story in the book of John, which it is a book to highlight the deity of Jesus Christ, I find it amazing that uh, this last story in chapter number 21 weaves both the deity of Jesus Christ. We, we notice miracles, the catching of 153 fish, all in that. They all just jumped into the net. Just think about that. When they got the command from the creator to jump into the net. It's just mind-boggling to me. And then, then Jesus already has fish on land and already bread sitting out there. So we see him, all of his deity in full view here in this last chapter. But we see him in his powerful deity, his almightiness, his ability to perform miracles at, the, at just the, the statement of a word or at the, the, at the uh, flick of a finger. I mean, he is able to do anything he wants to do. And yet he is caring for a man who is royally messed up. Now, we're familiar with the story. Please do not let the, the familiarity with this story just uh, uh, rob you of a, a super blessing this morning. I, I am mindful that oftentimes as women that you will feel, and especially as moms, that you'll feel, you know, I don't measure up to that mom. Even as you might have heard some of the things on the video this morning going through your mind. Well, that kid said that this mom does this. And immediately, I don't do that. I'm not very good at that. And immediately we can start thinking, you know, th uh, going backwards in our mind. You know what? God made you who you are. God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He's bringing you along, but guaranteed this, if you've failed, if you feel worthless, if you feel inadequate, God wants to restore you to 
your full worth in his, in his, in his realm. And we're going to see how God does this with Peter this morning. And, and it's no less than what God wants to do with you. I don't believe that God wants you to walk around feeling worthless. I don't believe God wants us, any of us who have made a spiritual mess of our lives or you know, made a, a poor decision to go on for months and years feeling like, oh, I just I can't be anything for God. No, he wants to restore you. This whole last chapter, the whole chapter is devoted to the restoration of a man who really messed up. Just think about God's perspective towards you this morning. Think about how much God cares about you. If he did that for Peter, don't you think he'd do it for you? Well, Peter's, you know, a super Christian. No, actually, Peter wasn't a super Christian. He was a royal mess, like you and I. I mean, he, he said things, and I mean, he just, he really messed up. And you know what? We've been there, too. And my point this morning is to help us to rejoice in the wonderful and risen Savior and realize he wants to restore you wherever you are. Maybe this is a message for another time, or maybe this is a message that hits you right now. God wants to restore you just like he wants to restore Peter, and he does. And he has the power to do that. So think about this this morning. They're at the Sea of Galilee. They're there because Jesus had told them to go there after, after the resurrection. So they have done this. And I want us to take a moment and really dive into the failure of Peter this morning. Think about this failure. It, it was unexpected from his part. Jesus knew it was coming and told him it was coming. But it's unexpected from his part. We find in Mark chapter 14 in verse number 29, but Peter said unto him, Jesus, although all shall be offended, yet will not I. In fact, right after the Last Supper, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying, listen, all of you are going to be offended in me this night. And Peter pipes up, uh, hold on, Lord, before you speak for the rest of the guys, uh, and, and before you include me in that big mess of guys, I want you to know, although all the rest of these guys, catch it, before all the rest of these guys, uh, if they go on and, and be offended, I'm not with them, I'm not going to be the one offended. I'll be just fine. And what is he saying about offended? It's to be, uh, to be uh, tripped up, to stumble. And so he says, uh, yet uh, even though everyone else might uh, get offended, I'm not going to get offended. And he goes on. He doesn't just stop there. And Jesus said unto him, verily, I say unto you, verily means truly, say unto thee, that this, this day, even this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And here's what Peter does. He just keeps digging the hole in verse number 31. But he spake the more vehemently. In other words, I mean, he might be raising his tone a little bit. He is getting more slowed and, and, uh, and methodical in his speech. And he says, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise, also said they all. So they all jumped on, on, the, uh, on, the, on the bandwagon with Peter. And so we have this, this unexpected failure that is happening in Peter's life. He's about to deny Jesus. He doesn't see it coming. Friends, you know when we start lifting ourselves up in pride and exalting ourselves and saying we will never do something, we're about ready to do something. We're about ready to mess up. The Bible tells us here that Peter uses a word and he uses a, uh, uh, uses a, a, a word, I will, I will not deny you in any way, and he even uses a double negative like we talked about last week. He says there's no possible way I will deny you. And the way that he said this, he said it with a view of himself. He said it with the idea, it, it, with, uh, the idea of self-preservation, if you will. 
He was, he was offended at that Jesus would think that he would be weak like that. Now, I've seen some Christians like that where they're offended that some other Christian or a pastor would think, boy, you, you can mess up. No, not me, not me. Oh, watch out, watch out. May I give, may I give a, a, a warning to both young and old believers? Sometimes when God begins to work in your lives as a new believer especially, you see a, a measure of victory. And one of the ways that Satan really trips a new believer up is getting them to think, this victory is coming from me. And then they start, they start claiming the victory. They start saying, I'll never go back. I can think of, of folks who told me, I'll never go back to drugs. But they're back in drugs. And in that same conversation, I'm saying, be careful, be careful. This is po more powerful than you think it is. Be careful. Listen, Peter did exactly this. I'll never, I will never do this. The Bible tells us that if we're lifted up in pride, uh, we're going to come to destruction. Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So if we all learn anything today, we all need to learn to say, you know what? I can, I can trip up at any time, and it's only by the grace of God I don't. And that's what Peter should have said. We find in Mark 14 and verse number 66, and Peter was beneath in the palace, there come, uh, as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest, which high priest was a very powerful individual, Mark 14, 67, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, uh, and thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth, verse 68, but he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest, and he went out into the porch, and the cock crew. The maids saw him again, and began to say to them that stood by, in other words, there's a, there's a drawling crowd that's gathering around, this is one of them, and he denied it again. And after a little while, they that stood by, uh, said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. I was listening to someone last night on the radio, and they're from New York, and I could tell the accent, right? Okay, so that's what just happened here. You're a Galilean. I hear the accent. You're with Jesus, aren't you? And here's what happens. Before the cock crew twice, Peter, in verse 71, says, But he began to curse and swear saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. Now think of the betrayal. Now Judas betrayed him physically, but think about the verbal betrayal of Jesus Christ right here, the denial of Jesus Christ. This is someone he had walked with, he had spent time with. You say, oh, I'll never go back on Jesus. Friends, be careful. Be careful. In fact, you see this all over the news, and, and Satan loves giving this all sorts of news coverage. Whenever some popular Christian star or whatever says, I'm, I'm done with Jesus. But I'm telling you, Satan loves to exploit that. He'd love nothing more than in six months from now for one of you to be saying, you know what, I don't, I don't, I don't care about Jesus anymore. I don't care to follow him anymore. I'm done with this. Friends, that's where where he was. This was a significant, significant thing. And Peter did exactly what he said. I will never in any way do this. He did exactly what he said he'd never do. And he did not expect the extent 
of this betrayal or of this, of this failure. And so his pride got a hold of him, just like our pride will get a hold of us. And so he denies Jesus publicly, is a huge failure. But how did that affect Peter? Look at verse number 72, Mark 14. And when he thought thereon, he wept. Here is a grown man that, by the way, in John 21, pulls the net of fishes the land. This is like, you know, a really strong dude. I mean, he is strong. He, uh, if he worked out, he, uh, he, he, he would show it. I mean, this is a strong guy. And the Bible says he wept that night when he betrayed Jesus or denied Jesus. Luke 22 in verse number 62. Right after he said curses and denied Jesus the third time, the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. So just imagine an open area. So he's down warming himself by the fire, an open porch area, and he could see into where Jesus was on trial. Jesus turns and looks at him. Can you see that? Can you see that? You feel the, the uncomfortable moment there? And Jesus is perfectly in tune to what's going on in our lives. And by the way, Jesus is no different today when we, when we are going against him, he can still see us just the same. And the eyes of, the, of our dear Savior still look in, and it's often brought, brought, to, uh, brought to light in our lives by the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so here he is, he looks at him, the Bible says, and Peter remembered, ah, the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out, now notice, and wept bitterly. Bitterly. Here's a grown man. I don't know who's the strongest man in here this morning. But here's a grown, very strong man. Weeping bitterly. The Bible the Bible word here is that he burst out in tears. It broke him. And what I want us to realize is that Peter sensed an overwhelming brokenness when he realized, I have just denied my Savior who's on trial for me right now. I will remind us, there is no restoration without brokenness. Can I say that again? There is no restoration without brokenness in our lives. There is a there is a deep lack of brokenness over sin in our, in our day. There's a deep lack of brokenness over sin within churches just like ours, within the Grace Baptist Church, a deep lack. And until we get real about our sin, until we see the eyes of the Savior looking down on us and how we betray him or deny him in our public places, in front of our, uh, our co-workers and in front of our neighbors, and so on, until we get broken about the sin of denying him and not being willing to stand up for him in the public square, there is no restoration. There is no going on and following him. There is no being an ambassador for him until we get broken about our sin before him. And so the Bible says, Psalm 51 and verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Right now, Peter was further along towards restoration than he realized. Where are the tears over our sin anymore? Where is the grip that grips our heart and says, well, I have just sinned against the one who went to the cross for me. 
And oftentimes we can come into a church and all the, um, the preacher's getting down on our, our sin and we walk out very callous. It isn't between us and the preacher. It is between us and, the, and our Savior who died in our place. And it is as if many times we trample on his sacrifice in a sense that we are not willing to give up that sin or to be broken about that sin. God will bring us to brokenness. And when we see Jesus... In the midst of our sin, our sin or our denial of him or our, our fear of standing up for him, I'll tell you what, it'll break our hearts. Not because Jesus is so mean. He loved us and gave everything for us. How in the world? You know what? I can see myself right at that fire. Because I've been there before in front of people who don't know Jesus and haven't stood up as I should. You know? And I think we've all been there, haven't we? Haven't we? I'm telling you, we read these stories and we're like, oh, these are so awful, you know? No, no. Don't, don't, don't act like we can't be a Peter. Oh, that God would break our hearts, but do you know there's an ongoing sense of worthlessness? And I, I told you, this isn't where God wants us to stay, but I'm reminded that in the different, the three different appearances that Peter seems a bit subdued he's not front and center in these these two Sunday gatherings that we've just studied there's a subdued and in fact the Bible says in Mark 16 7 the angel said but go your way tell his disciples and you remember what it says and Peter why did God have to say that I don't know about you but I'd be really struggling. He's broken. He went out and dealt with that. He saw the eyes of the Savior. He's broken before him. He realizes Jesus was right and he was wrong. And now Jesus is sending a, a, uh, his ambassadors, the, the ladies over and saying, make sure that you tell the disciples I'm risen. And by the way, make sure that you tell especially Peter. Why? Peter's having a rough time. We see here in John chapter number 21, Peter says, I go a fishing, and I've heard many messages that all oh, that gave up on their calling. Well, you know what? These guys were also fishermen. Uh, they had families. Peter had a family. So I'm not, I'm not going to spend any time here uh, bashing them for going fishing. It doesn't, I cannot find in my study that this was a, an idea that they were going to go and they were never on going back with Jesus. I do not see that here in, in, in the Bible. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see it. What I do see is some guys probably feeling, having a little bit of a struggle going through this time, and especially Peter saying, you know what, I'm just going to go out and get out in the water. Brother Tom, you're a fisherman. Water's a peaceful place to be, isn't it? You get out away from it, and even if, I, I, maybe you could put yourself in Peter's spot and just think about, boy, I just need to get out and clear my head. So he, he's out that night, and I just, I, I don't believe we're reading into the, the passage, but I, I know Jesus saw enough of a sense of worthlessness within Peter that he's going to spend a bunch of time restoring this guy out of this. And so we come here in chapter 21. They're out all night fishing. Going fishing is not the problem. Uh, Jesus does not tell them you shouldn't go fishing anymore. In fact, he helped them along. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Pretty big catch that day. There was no catch on their part. 
Now, you think about that. These are skilled fishermen. They do this for a job. And they caught nothing. Nothing. How does that make you feel? Like, I can't do anything right. I can't even catch fish. I, it'd be like you guys saying, I, 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 can't, even, I can't even file papers. And, you know, I, I do legal work. I can't even do this right. I, I, I bum up at work. I bum up with the Lord. I'm just a failure. And Jesus comes along. So the extent of Peter's failure is, is pretty remarkable. I mean, this is, this is deep, and there's an overwhelming sense of worthlessness, and, and this is all going on. Failure feels awful, but <laughs> it feels awful until you look at Jesus. I want you to notice in verse number four, Jesus showed himself again, verse number one, again to them at the Sea of Tiberias. In verse number four, he begins to deal with them. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And he, you know, we read the story. All right, cast on the other side of the ship. And 153 fish jump into the net, and Jesus, Jesus performs this miracle. They all of a sudden realize it's the Lord. Why? They had been here, deja vu. They had been here before. They had, they had toiled all night. No fish. Jesus performs a miracle. What an amazing thing. And they'd been here. And so John says to Peter, that's the Lord on shore. And he jumps in. And I'm just telling you, this is a precious part of the story because he doesn't, he doesn't run from Jesus. He runs to Jesus, which all, all the while underscores that the brokenness was real. When you're running from Jesus, you haven't come to a point of brokenness. Jesus wants you back. He wants to restore you. And I said a moment ago, you know, the Bible uses the word naked. Uh, our definition of nakedness in our day is, um, well, let's just say this, that uh, the world has kind of uh, messed that, um, that word up. God's definition of nakedness is, is far greater than ours. Okay, so likely he had, he had hiked up his, his uh, work robe or whatever up to something like here. And, uh, and the Bible's just given the idea that he, he covered himself up and he went to shore. So um, he is running to Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus. And so we find here, as, as he is seeing Jesus, Jesus is showing up in his life, we find that Jesus reveals himself personally to Peter. After the Sunday meetings, he is coming now to Peter specifically, just like last week he came to Thomas specifically, he's coming to Jesus specifically, and he wants to bless them and help them. And this is the third time that he has met with them. And restoration from failure always begins with seeing Jesus, always begins with Jesus. It doesn't begin necessarily, though it happens within a context like this, coming to an assembly, but it's always going to uh, come to being right with Jesus, seeing Jesus again. And that's the real need in your life. If you've failed, it's not a matter of, of seeing every other believer and, and whatnot, though they can help, but it's really coming face to face with Jesus. That can happen in a preaching service. That can happen in the woods with your Bible. It can happen in your devotional time. You need it. We need it. Jesus being made real in our life. And that's exactly the word show, is to be manifest. Jesus appears in your life. Not physically, but he appears by the Holy Spirit in your life. He becomes real to you. You have a, you have a Jesus moment. Maybe you need that this morning. He did it for Peter. He's not different today. He doesn't care for you less than Peter. In fact, he says, I care for the sparrows. 
He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows all about you. He knows all the stars and he calls them by name. That's our Savior and he cares about you. He cares. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Well, that's a good question. I'm nothing. I'm made of dirt. But he cares. And he cared for Peter. Now, Jesus was clearly seen, and I want you to notice what he does next in verses 15 through 17. He restores Peter. He deals with him specifically. Now how? Does he, does he rehearse Peter's failure? Catch this now. Jesus does exactly what we should do, but often don't. Does he rehearse their failure? No. You know, P Jesus already knew that, that Peter had broken inside. And there was no need to rehearse the failure. He, he knew what he did wrong. Uh, did he shame him in front of the other disciples? I can't believe how you denied me in front of that group. No, he doesn't do that. You know what he does? He verifies his love. He challenges them on his love. Verse number 15, he says, Lovest thou me more than these? He calls them out by name, says, Hey, hey Simon, do you love me more than these? There's, there's a couple different thoughts on that, whether he was referring to the fish do you love me more than this? I don't personally believe it's that. I personally believe that it has to do with, do you love me more than the rest of these disciples? The ones who you said, even though if they would deny, uh, deny, I would never deny you. Do you love me more than them? Do you love me in a greater way than these guys do? And he's challenging him on his love. Now, I want you to just, for a moment, I'm not going to dive deep into this, but I do want us to realize in the incredible accuracy of the Greek language when the Bible was written, the New Testament was written, it was at the height of the Greek language. And there's a purpose for that. Do you understand that God does all things well? Right? And so there are things, when we're studying along, there's a lot of things I never say on oh, this in the Greek and so forth, and I'm not a Greek scholar, so don't, I enjoy the study, but, but just understand that the, the Greek language is an incredibly specific and, and illustrative language. When the Bible talks about love, in the New Testament, there's at least four different words for, for love. I want you to think about this. There's, there's God's kind of love. We call that agape love, okay? That's, that's unconditional, sacrificial love. That is the love that was displayed at Calvary. That's the love that you husbands are to have for your wife, and that only happens by the grace of God. You can only give that kind of love as you've experienced that kind of love. And if you're a saved person here this morning, you've experienced that love at Calvary. There is storge or family love, the love you have for within the family. There is that friendly love, that brotherly love, phileo, or like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, or brotherly shove, I think how it is up there. But you know, it's that friendly love. It's that, it's that we're an acquaintance, we love one another. And then there's the romantic love, eros. So that's between a husband and a wife. So uh, these four ideas of love, and Jesus is asking Peter right now, Peter, do you love me more than these with sacrificial love, with my kind of love? Well, yes, Lord, you know I love you with brotherly love or that friendly love. You know I love you. Huh. Then feed my lambs. I have a job for you to do. The second time he asks, if you note there, do you love me sacrificially? He doesn't ask more than these. Do you love me sacrificially? 
the second question he asks. Well, yes, Lord, you know. And he says, Lord, you know cognitively, you know, because you know all things, you know that I, I love you with friendly love. Then feed my sheep. You notice what Peter's doing here. It, Jesus is asking, hey, do you love me unconditionally? And he answers, Lord, you know that I love you like a friend. Now, it, we can read a ton into this, but Peter's just being honest. I don't love you this much. I love you like this. This is how he feels. And remember, we're, we're seeing a, a, a man who feels very worthless, like he's really messed it up, being restored. So what does Jesus do in this third question? He goes, Peter, do you love me like a friend? Wow. He questions his love like a friend. And the Bible tells us that Peter is very, very grieved because he asked him the third time. And he says, Lord, you cognitively, you know all things because you're all-knowing. And then he says something very interesting. He says, you know experientially that I love you like a friend. There's been times. You know that. You know that. And he says, then feed my sheep. Now, this is an incredible exchange we could drill down into a whole lot. But all I know is Jesus was questioning his love. Why? Because ultimately, ultimately, our love is the greatest motivator of our devotion and service to Jesus Christ. If you can't get there by love, you're going to fail any other way. You say, boy, I love serving the Lord, and in your heart it's because you want to be thanked or recognized within the assembly. You're going to fail. If you're not serving Jesus Christ as a Sunday school teacher, as a cleaner, as an adventure camp volunteer, media, deacons, nursery, children's teacher, whatever the case is, singer, if you're not serving Jesus Christ by love, at some point it's going to overwhelm you. This is a very real moment. Jesus was not giving him five steps to staying devoted to me in the future. He deals with one issue. Do you love me? Do you love me? Now put yourself in Peter's place there. Because Peter's being, being challenged in this, and Jesus isn't being mean or nasty. He's just simply questioning it. Why? Because Peter needed to love him more than anything if he was going to be what Jesus needed him to be in the future. And if he's going to stay devoted to him in the future. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Peter was a preacher. Well, he could preach some messages, and he did on Pentecost. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Dong, dong, you know, just, you know, racket, trumpet practicing, just all sorts of racket. I was watching something this week about... Uh, pianos that are made in Britain and uh, this, this one uh, craftsman that makes pianos, 50 pianos a year 
um, by hand. Everything's done by hand. Amazing. I, I forget the expense of them. But towards the end of, their, of their, uh, the process, they put them on this machine that, uh, that simultaneously hits all the, all the uh, keys and beats in, breaks in all the, the felt hammers that are inside the piano. The, the guy that was on the video said, it is the worst racket you can ever imagine. That's your life and my life without love. That's Peter's life ahead of this moment. Well, you guys are going to take Jesus? I'll just lop off your ear. Well, how did that help things? How did that help? You know, imagine Peter going back and witnessing to that guy. <laughs> how did that go down? You know, you know what I'm saying? All right, uh, they, he was just so impetuous, and uh, who's going to be the greatest and uh, all these things? Do you realize that without love, we are absolutely nothing? In fact, that's what the Bible says. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 13, 2, and though I have the gift of prophecy to declare things and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so here's a person who knows a lot, they believe a lot, so that I could move mountains. They, they have faith in God. And the Bible says, and without charity, I am nothing. Peter was going to be of no use to Jesus Christ in this kingdom and in the early church without charity. And Jesus had to deal with this. And so now we're coming to the point where Jesus is restoring him. And notice here, he doesn't, he doesn't make Peter go through a, a bunch of hoops. He's there in this moment with Peter and and Peter is um, uh, being talked to by Jesus. He's being restored by Jesus. And at some point, there was, there was forgiveness that was received and forgiveness that was granted. Because Jesus moved on and Peter moved on. Acts is a picture of that. So notice in the next verse, we have Peter coming to a point of forgiveness, a point of reconciliation with the Savior. They're right with one another uh, now, and they're moving on. So, okay, I'm forgiven. Well, what if I fail again? That's a fear that we have, isn't it? How many of you say, I, I have that, I can identify with that fear? Yeah, what if I fail again? Well, I can imagine uh, Peter did. But notice the care of our Savior in describing the future of Peter here. He says there in verse number 19, Verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, and thou wast thyself, you walked around whithersoever thou wouldest. You, you went wherever you wanted. You were your own man. You had liberty. But when you're old, there's going to be a time where you're stretched out, and you are not, you're going to be carried where you don't want to go. What was he talking about? He's talking about Peter's death. Specifically, the uh, history tells us that Peter died by crucifixion some 34 years after this event and felt so unworthy of, of being crucified in the same way that Jesus was, he asked and requested to be crucified upside down. Being crucified was the most torturous death you can imagine but here he is being asked to be crucified upside down just to honor his lord's memory and so what's going on here jesus is telling peter listen peter i'm telling you what your future is who got miss honey you got that 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 sign i want us to think about that verse jeremiah 29 and verse number 11 think about the fact that jesus knows your future and if you will walk with him into the future he changes everything because peter wants a denier now jesus is saying i promise you here's what i see in your future you're going to be so devoted and so love me that you're going to go to the cross and you're not just going to go to the cross you're going to go to the cross in a way that i didn't even go to the cross 
Not that his suffering was more than Christ because he bore the whole sin of the world, but that he died in such a severe way, in a, in, in a sacrificial way for Jesus Christ. So here, get, get the picture. Here's a denier, and, and Jesus is saying, I know what's in your future. You're going to so love me that you're going to sacrifice your life for me. What a wonderful thing for Jesus to say to him, and what a wonderful assurance. You say, well, no, he's prophesying his death. No, he's saying, listen, Peter, your future marked by sacrificial love. I'm sitting here asking you if you love me. You're saying I love you like a friend, and I know something about you, Peter. You're going to keep on going forward, and you're going to love me someday with my kind of love. You're going to give it right back to me. That's amazing. That's what Jesus can do in a life. Peter can't stand in heaven and say, well, I, I so love Jesus that I gave my life up for him. No, Peter would tell you on the streets of gold or the streets that look like gold, whatever you might want to say, uh, the, the streets there in heaven, he's going to say, no, Jesus did it through me. Oh, that's amazing to me. How's that going to happen? It's not going to happen without choices on Peter's part because what does Jesus say right at the end of that verse? Look at, look at verse number 18, is it? Verse 19. Look at the end. What is the command that Jesus gives? Huh. Interesting. Peter, this is what I see in your future, so now what do you need to do to, in order to get there? You need to let me write your future. You need to let me write your story. You're not going to get there on your own and going your own way and being um, willful in your own way. You need to follow me. He says it twice in this passage. Follow. Behave in accordance Behave in agreement with me. Follow my mandates. Take my word. Let it become a part of you. Let it renew your mind. Let it transform your walk. Let it take the old man and put it aside and put the new man in its place. Let me change you. Let me direct your path. Let me write your story. Let me change your dreams and ambitions. Let me use you to your fullest potential. Let me, and you know what? Many of us are there. Jesus has a glorious plan for life, but we're not willing to follow him and give up to him. We're willful. And we, we say, well, I know how I can be better used to the Lord. No, you don't. And until we say, you know what, I will follow you. I will deny myself. I will follow after you. Peter had to make that choice every day of his life. He would have never gotten to the cross. He would have never glorified Jesus in the way that he did if he did not choose every single day to follow the Lord Jesus Christ part of the restoration it's a part of the coming back from failure the bible tells us that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto god peter had to do that every single day but here's peter kind of the old self slipping back in uh well jesus and he looks at he looks at john who's following they must have been walking at this point he's following jesus and he says uh what's going to happen to him wrong question if he should live till I come back, what is it to you? You know, Jesus has to say the same thing to you. Stop comparing yourself. Stop wondering what my plan is for somebody else. You do yours. That's why we keep on coming back to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1. If we're to run our race with endurance, with patience, with stick to we've got to get our eyes on Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. What was Jesus saying to Peter? Look at me. Stop worrying about John. Stop worrying about James. Look at me. That's the only way that you're going to glorify me in your life. 
That's the way to find real value in your life. And you know what? We need that same call. We need to hear that same call as moms, as dads, as children, as teenagers. We need to hear that same call. Stop worrying about what everyone else is doing and follow Jesus Christ. He is the one that leads from failure into glorious victory. And what I see what I see here is Jesus saying and reminding him of a truth that he said in Mark 8, 34. Whosoever is going to come after me, let him take up his cross, let him deny himself daily and follow me. Daily and follow me. You know, no matter your past failures, no matter your sense of worthlessness, I don't have any use, I don't have any value to God, no matter, Jesus can restore you and bring you into a future of glorifying your creator. Think about that. You. Little old you. Living out a future of glorifying Jesus. Of lifting him up. You say, well, I don't like the whole cross thing. Well, what is it to you? Stop acting like Peter's future is going to be yours. Jesus has a future for you, but it's going to be glorifying glorifying him and listen friends the greatest the greatest privilege of our lives is to lift up jesus christ you say i i I think i can think of a lot of other things that are the greatest privilege of my life then you haven't you haven't quite gotten there friends we need to do a little bit more work the greatest privilege of our human existence is to glorify him in fact that's our purpose and so jesus says you're going you're gonna to be stretched forth. And he spoke of this because this is the way that Peter would glorify God. I don't know how God wants you to glorify him or how he's going to work in your life to glorify him. I don't know what my future holds. The only way we're going to get there is step by step, forgetting the failure, getting right, being broken about it, getting with the Savior, seeing him, and then following him every single day. Listen, moms, what your children need more than anything else. You hear me? More than anything else is you committing to follow Jesus. You know what? I can think back to my mom, and this is the only experience I have is with my mom, so I can't tell other people's experiences. But I can think back, you know, sometimes my mom's house wasn't always in order. Sometimes the laundry wasn't always done. And she might be saying, that's very gracious. You know, my mom made some mistakes. I can think of times where she had to sit us all down, one time in particular, and seek all of our forgiveness as her children. You know what? The overwhelming thought that comes to my mind about my mom, she was not perfect. I'm not trying to paint her that way is that she followed Jesus. One of the things I told her this morning is this. Thanks for humbly being humble, having a spirit of humility, and continuing to grow and learn. I've never, I've never gone back home and sensed a, a feeling like, I got it all. I got it all taken care of. If any of you have met my mom, you know she's just humble, and she's just following the Lord. And what a blessing. I'm telling you what, it speaks volumes. I can look back to things, you know, tangible things that might not have been all in order and all taken care of. And we didn't have a lot growing up. But I'll know one thing, that's what sticks with me. 
I can, I can see times where my mom was in the Word. I know this from a child. From a child, my mom had me in church. You say, well, it's not that big of a deal. Moms, it is important. Moms, you might be, you may be, I'm, I'm going I'm to say something, you may be, children have a choice to make as they, as they get older. I understand that. I realize I'm still raising kids. But your choice to follow Jesus may be one of the determining factors in whether your children continue with the Lord. You say, well, it's not that big of a deal to have them in church. Yes, it is. Not that big of a deal to read my Bible in front of them. Yes, it is. It's not that big of a deal to bring everything back to the Bible. Yes, it is. More than anything, your kids need you to follow the Lord. And dads, it's for us too. So we can, you know, can I get an amen from the guys here? By the way, guys, a good way to help the, the ladies is give a good example. Set the tone in the home. And this goes, you know, this goes well beyond when there's children just at home. You realize that? You don't stop being a mom. You don't stop being a dad. You're still there. Still following the Lord. Still being an example. What a great thing. You know what? Even if you don't have kids at home, there's a whole family. I think Jesus calls it his body, the family of God that we're all a part of here today that you can have a great impact in. Oh, follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. Make that the most important thing. You might, you might be failing at a lot of things. You might not be what the next lady is, but you can follow the Lord. You can follow the Lord. Starts with his word. Starts with obeying his commands. Remember what that follow is? You're submitting. You're walking in accordance with his word. In fact, I think that's what Matthew 28 and verse number 19 tells us. That we're to teach them to observe all things whatsoever he commanded. If it's in here, we ought to follow it. But that's a goal. By the way, how many of you just agree with me right now? That's a goal only attained by the help of the Holy Spirit. All right, I'm with you there. So let's, let's pray and ask him to help us with that, okay? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you for the story of Peter. And I, I, Lord, I, I trust that you take your word and that you will just apply it into each of our hearts. And I pray for our moms here today. Lord, the world puts in front of them so many different things that they ought to be or ought not to be. I pray that they would value following you over following some magazine or following some... Uh, some mom guru, uh, Lord, that they would follow you most of all. Lord, I pray that they would fix their eyes on you. I pray that the children coming up in our church would have, have moms that are just committed, no matter what, to following after you. And Lord, even admitting when they, when they haven't, like a Peter, even admitting and just getting right and being broken about their own, own sinfulness and, and going on, Lord, I pray for that. And I pray for us as dads, I pray that we would be able to uh, be the examples that we ought to be uh, within the home. And I pray for our grandparents here today. And I pray for those that have not, uh, not yet even gotten married and, and not yet uh, gone into that, that stage of life. I pray that each of us would take these truths to heart and, Lord, boiling all down, help us, Lord, to follow you. So simple, but so, so hard for us many times. So help us, Lord. I pray that you meet with us in this invitation time. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.